uh, chapter 10, and the first 12 verses of that chapter will be our text this morning. We return after um, several weeks um, due to the holidays and, and men's retreat. We return to our series, what I call Marked for a Mission through the Gospel of Mark. I see a pile of rocks in front of me. Gentlemen, do you uh, uh, remember why those rocks are there? I believe I remember hearing recently that you, that we together as men, as husbands, as fathers, are to be alert, are to stand firm in the faith, are to act like men, to be strong, and whatever we do, may we do it in love. What a, what a great reminder for every single one of us. This morning I, I'm speaking on the subject, what I call, Till Death Do Us Part. A challenging text, to tell you the truth. I, um, I read just this week about a man who was recently given uh, two tickets for the 2017 Super Bowl. Uh, to be played at NRG Stadium in Houston on February the 5th. He was given a luxury suite uh, reserved at the stadium to watch the game. He was given two airline tickets valid from any U.S. airport. He was given a hotel suite and tickets to attend two pre-game, pre-Super Bowl parties. However, he very quickly realized that the date of the scheduled game was on the exact same day as his wedding. And so he could not go, so he emailed a buddy and he said this, if you're interested, you can go instead of him. It's going to be at Grace Church in Philadelphia at 5 p.m. Her name is Louise. She's 5 foot, 4 inches, 120 pounds. She's a great cook and she'll be the one in the white dress. Ow. A what not to do, gentlemen. <laughs> Hey, what not to do? Oftentimes we can learn how we should be behaving by looking at examples of how we should not be behaving. Uh, if you are visiting with us this morning, a, a very special welcome. Please understand that I preach what is referred to as expositionally, verse by verse, line by line. Um, and so if you are visiting, uh, please understand that as we look at the subject of uh, marriage and divorce. I didn't just like pick that out of the air, uh, but it is most important for us. Uh, whatever is in scripture, we will preach um, truth, absolute truth. My goal is always, Ephesians chapter 4, preach the truth, speak truth in love. And that is my goal this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we just um, ask for God's direction and leading and guiding um, as we learn from his word today. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you and we are grateful. I am most grateful uh, for your presence here. I, I'm amazed at the power of your spirit. Very evident, even as we lift our voices as one to worship you. We are grateful for your patience and love. Grateful, Lord, that we have um, eternal, eternal hope through the work of Jesus Christ. We come to you in his name, recognizing our own shortcoming, recognizing our own sin. But I thank you, Lord, that, that you offer us a way to have relationship close, intimate relationship with you, even in your holiness, because of Jesus. Father, I, I pray right now for us as a church as we seek to be light in this community. Uh, Lord, even today as we learn, this is a really tough text. And God, I need your help. Please, may I communicate with grace and love. Father, help us, Lord, to understand that you set a very high standard and that with your help and with continual surrender and submission in our own lives, a dying to self, that we would have the means to be obedient. 
Father, we just love you. We love what you're doing through this church. And we ask, Lord, that we would be, we'd be wise stewards even of our time and the words that we hear. Please open our ears and our eyes to hear and to see you and you alone. May you be the one that is the focus this morning. May you speak and may your servants hear. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen. And amen. As I said, somewhat of a challenging text, and I thought for a moment, would anyone notice if I just like jumped over these 12 verses? And I thought about it, you know, that's really what, what happens. That's the problem. A lot of people just skip over portions of the truth of God's word, important and necessary passages. Uh, and so the benefit, the blessing of preaching what, line by line, word by word, is it allows us to stay um, in line with his teaching as opposed to with man's teaching. Now, it is what is referred to as an instructional text. And whenever we receive instruction, there's the possibility that we get upset with the instruction that we are receiving. Thus, what? Thus, my hope to just offer this in, in, in love and with grace, knowing ultimately wherever we are at, every single one of us all falls short of God's glory, and that is the absolute delight of the good news, of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are forgiven and we rejoice in that. Very, very quick review. Uh, because it's been a while, we've been in the gospel of Mark, and we know the last chapter, several weeks ago, Mark chapter 9, Jesus, always speaking with authority, has in a sense kind of um, um, changed his ministry from a public ministry to those that are closest to him. He's speaking privately to his disciples, uh, those that he has been pouring his life into. Um, and it's in this setting that we understand what? There's importance of how we treat one another. There's an importance with how we treat and how we view sin in light of the fact that what? Our, our life, your life here, okay, my life, it is but a miss. It's here one moment and gone the next. We live in light of the fact that hell is very real. It's eternal and souls are at stake. Thus the reason that it must be truth. Follow along as I, I read this text. We'll see it divides quite neatly into primarily three scenes. Uh, Mark chapter 10, we pick it up in verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it? lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Listen very carefully to verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Three scenes. The first one is this. Number one, a trap is set. And we see this in verses 1 and 2. Okay, let's set the context. Jesus is continuing to make his way south. He has been in Capernaum. He leads Capernaum en route to Jerusalem, ultimately where he will, what? End up on the cross. He has crossed the Jordan, and he is in the region of Judea. Specifically, he's in an area that's referred to as Perea. 
And the reason why the location, the reason I even mentioned that this morning is because it's an area that is under Herod's control. Now, what does that matter? Earlier, if you recall, in Mark chapter 6, there was this dialogue. John the Baptist, you remember that, was, was what? Proclaiming the fact that Herod was unlawfully married. Herod was furious with John the Baptist, ultimately ending his life. But he made it very, very clear that, what, you're, 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 it's your sister-in-law. Totally wrong. The reason I mention that is because this is an area that obviously there has been dialogue, there's been some talk about lawful versus unlawful marriage. It's been discussed at some extent, at some point in this region. So here it is, it begins, as was his custom, he taught them. The Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Certainly nothing, nothing new for Jesus. This word test is used four times in the gospel of Mark, three times in reference specifically to the Pharisees' questions. They wanted to test him. Uh, Mark chapter 8, here in Mark chapter 10, later we'll see Mark chapter 12. They always wanted to what? Try to, try to trick Jesus into saying something that he would regret, that would get him in trouble. The Pharisees clearly, clearly had disagreed with the, the, the mission, the ministry, and the message of Jesus. And they have constantly followed him around, and they're like flying bugs, gnats around his head. They are a thorn in his side, constantly trying to, to, to trap him, to trick him, to trip him up in some way. And so what they do today is they bring out what we would call the, the heavy artillery, the, the most challenging of all subjects. Maybe Jesus is going to say something that's going to get him in trouble with Herod, who is the supposed authority in that particular region. So they ask this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? The Pharisees are coming at Jesus. Not only are they, what, do they have an understanding of Old Testament scriptures, they have a firm grasp of it. But they also have an understanding of a lot of the ritualistic teachings of other Jewish writings. The Talmud, the Mishnah, literally hundreds and hundreds of man-made rules and regulations that were constantly being referred to. Now, when it comes to this particular subject of divorce, there were two prevailing schools of thought that the Pharisees would have believed and they would have found themselves under. The first is referred to as the school of Rabbi Hillel, which is a very, very lenient view that basically allowed a man to divorce his wife for any reason that he wanted. If a woman moved in up the street that was prettier than his wife, well, then I'm, 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 I'm done with you. She burns dinner one too many times, shrinks his sweater, whatever it is. I'm done. In a sense, it's the equivalent of what we have even in our own culture and society today of what is referred to as a no-fault divorce. Very lenient view. Whoever wants to get a divorce, go ahead and get a divorce. That's the first school of Rabbi Hillel. There's another school of Rabbi Shimon. It's a very strict view that would, that would allow divorce only for the most grievous sexual sin, namely what? Adultery. It's very obvious that the Pharisees themselves who are trying to trip and, and trick Jesus they are at odds with one another. They don't agree on the subject of divorce. But that didn't matter to them. What mattered to them was trying to get Jesus to, to say something they could hang him with. So number one, a, a trap is set, or so they thought. Number two, a response is given. Number two, a response is is given in verses 3 through 9. Please understand here, and I love Jesus' approach. He doesn't, he doesn't back down. And what, what, what we notice is that he doesn't choose sides here. What does he do? He does the exact same thing that I want us to do this morning. He raises the view of marriage. And he goes to what? He goes to absolute 
solid truth. He goes back to the base and he appeals to the highest authority, his own authority, his own written word. And Jesus answers a question in brilliance with another question. So, 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 is it lawful? And, and Jesus says, well, what did Moses command you? Jesus moves them from opinion, what, what do you think, back to what? Back to Scripture. The response comes from Deuteronomy chapter 24. If you want to turn there very quickly, I just want to read the first verse. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, speak of this subject. Let me just read the first verse to you. This is the response. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce. Now, what is noted here is a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Is that what? Well, well, it, it, is, it, it is allowed. Moses allowed divorce because, and it says very specifically, he has found some indecency in her. Now, it needs to be noted. And, and sadly, that, that at this particular time in history, women were, were viewed as less than. They were often treated, and they were passed around, and it was all wrong. And there's, there's one, a, a point here that says, no, this must stop. This has to stop. It's well known that the Pharisees are in disagreement over what this word indecency could be. For some, it's what? Well, she burnt the toast. Just That's too many times. That's the so-called indecency, whereas others would say, no, it was, it was the very worst of a grievous sexual act of committing adultery. But even by their response, it indicates what? That they are neglecting the context by which these words were written, which is dangerous, and it's, a, it's, it's what people do today. It's a twisting of Scripture, of what, what, what was intended. Jesus takes their view high. Jesus is very, very clear with his next statement, setting the record straight. It is because of your hardness of heart that he wrote to you this commandment. It's because of it's really difficult hardness of heart. It's in Greek, skelicardia. It means a stubbornness of heart or an obstinance. Which basically, God is saying what? He is making an allotment. He has made an exception. It was made because of the fact that mankind is, as I read even this week, and what a, what a glimpse of, of, of my own heart, of each of us. Their heart is willfully ignorant and passionately rebellious. Did you realize that's what resides in every single one of us, a heart that is willfully ignorant and passionately rebellious. Clearly, clearly not part. Force is and was never part of God's original plan. But Jesus does not reject any of Moses' teaching. Instead, what does he do? He takes our view to a high level. He focuses on the ideal. He lifts their eyes to the reason for the standard. Why, why was the Old Testament law given in the first place? It, was, it did exist. It had a place to reveal to us our shortcomings. And we can never measure up here. This is unattainable. And, and not only to reveal to us our own sinfulness, but the law was given as a guard to keep us from sin, to create, in a sense, a legal barrier. Don't cross that line. Don't touch that stove. That's why the law was given. Therefore, when Jesus makes mention and draws attention to the allowance for divorce, it is only and strictly because of the hardness of man's heart. It's a concession of man's failure. Now, now think about it. Moses does not institute divorce in order to make it easy. He institutes divorce to limit the damage. That's 
That's why a certificate of divorce in Deuteronomy chapter 24 was to pre prevent further chaos. But what happens is because of our hearts, the hardness of our hearts, people think it, it is what? It is permission. It's now license that is given to us. How? How wrong and how twisted. Divorce was not, let me say parenthetically speaking, and it is not presently today part of God's ideal plan. Divorce was not what God intended, but mankind has taken the blessings of what God has given and twisted it according to his or her liking. How, how wrong is that? Even by this dialogue with the Pharisees, the Pharisees want to talk about divorce. What does Jesus do? He talks about marriage. Think about that. The Pharisees want to talk about this subject, and Jesus raises the eye level to the ideal, and he talks about marriage. That's where we need to focus. That's where we need to focus. Regardless of any, any place that you are right now, single, Lord willing, hoping someday to be married, married, perhaps some of you who I know have, have suffered the pain of divorce, let's focus on God's ideal from this moment forwards. You don't, you don't learn how to fly a plane by practicing crash landings. Like, it doesn't work like that. You don't do that. So what does Jesus do? He gives to us several clear teaching points about marriage. We have to keep them in mind. A, what is it? First and foremost, marriage was created and instituted by God to be exclusively between a male and a female, between a man and a woman. Verse 6, we see that. You will hear things today, particularly young people. The world will say that it is okay for two men or two women to be married. Understand this. With the utmost of love, but saturated in truth. It is wrong. It is sinful. It is an abomination to God's perfect plan and ideal for marriage. Marriage was created and instituted by God to be exclusively between a man and a woman. Secondly, marriage was created as a unique bond unlike any other human relationship. In verse 7 it says what? The two shall become one flesh. There is only one relationship. There's only one that God has created. They could be so perfect and so beautiful. It's a relationship of a husband and a wife where two, sure there's differences. I've been married 27 plus years, still trying to figure this out. I, I have a mother, I have an older sister, I have a younger sister. I have a daughter. I'm still trying to figure out, like, wow, I'm not quite sure how the mind of that woman works, but do I stop giving up trying to figure that out? In absolute delight. Thirdly, marriage was and is to be permanent. It is to be permanent. Verse 8 says they are no longer two, but they are one. Which means... From this moment, till death do us part. And there is an amazing sense of eternality that is, that, is, that is mentioned when God in his delight takes two and makes them one. Which brings us to our last part here. D, marriage is not to be separated by man. It says in verse 9, what God has joined together, let no man separate. One of the greatest privileges I have as a pastor is that I get to several times every single year stand at the front of a church, stand in a beautiful garden somewhere, and, and I have the privilege of pronouncing what? Two people, man and woman, husband and wife. And I will always, always repeat in those vows what God has joined together. Let no man separate. And I only say that with an understanding that I've already told both of them. That you yourself don't have the authority to pull this thing apart. 
So to do that, you're stepping around and going outside the authority of God himself. What does God do here? What does Jesus do? He elevates our view. Perfect ideal of marriage. Trap is set. A response is given. Thirdly and finally, a matter is settled. Verses 10 through 12. Matter is settled here. Many people do not realize that what is recorded in, in Mark chapter 10 is repeated. It's a parallel text in Matthew chapter 19. We know, as we've already been looking through and studying through the Gospel of Mark, Mark's, Mark's brief with the details. And so Matthew gives um, um, a, a more specific. Turn with me to that account in Matthew chapter 19. Exact same account and Jesus, and it's recorded, it gives a little bit more of a specific. The disciples, even the disciples, were having a little bit of a hard time with what Jesus was saying. It says that as they're back together in a house, they're alone, and there's another teaching moment. Jesus speaks, and again, he never wavers. He knew that the stability of family, he knew the stability of the church, he knew the stability of society as a whole depends on the marriage institution being honored. Women were wrongly and sadly often treated as property. So for a woman to, to divorce a man was absolute what? She was, she was on her own financial ruin. She was ostracized. Very, very rare. But a husband could divorce his wife for any reason that, that he thought. So God's design here is to protect her, to take care of her. When the disciples questioned further, Jesus taught that remarriage after divorce was adultery for the man or for the woman. However, in Matthew chapter 19, we read this. A little bit more specific detail. Direct your attention to verse 9. back up to, to verse 8 and he said to them because of your hardness of heart again same word same term Moses allowed you to divorce your wives but from the beginning it was not so and I say to you whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery what, what is Jesus doing here Jesus himself makes an exception Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Therefore, what? What do we understand? What do we take away from this? We understand divorce is not, was never part of God's ideal plan. But divorce is permitted, it says, because of the hardness of your heart. We see this in Deuteronomy 24, Matthew 19, Mark chapter 10. Only, specifically, and in the exceptional case of immorality or adultery, according to what we read in Matthew chapter 19. Now, what we've got to do is we've got to feel the full force of this text, where Jesus is what he's elevating the divine, the God-given intent of marriage. It's easy to what? Because of the hardness of our heart, look for the loopholes. Look for the permission. What, what, is, what is permitted is not what is prescribed for us. Permission does not make this a mandate. Matthew details what Mark describes at a high level. The Apostle Paul actually addresses the subject in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There, there seems to be some exception here. If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. Again, permission does not what? It is not part of God's original plan. What we have to understand is that, 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 that sin and the consequence of sin cannot be confused. We oftentimes confuse those two. And, and, and Jesus does not, thankfully. So we understand here, you, you, you have permission. You want to touch that hot stove, you, you are free to go ahead and touch that. But it will hurt. It will burn, and it will scar. And I am fully aware, 
talk to too many people and know too many people of the massive difficulties that surround us as a local church when it comes to the subject of divorce and remarriage. Well, what about, what about before salvation? What about a season of failure within the marriage? What about abuse? What about cases of neglect or abandonment? There are many, many tangles that are not easily undone that we cannot at this very moment take the time to examine every single one of them. What we need to do is do what Jesus says, and we focus, we raise our eyes to the ideal. Add to those challenges the fact that, what, 50%... One out of two marriages in our culture have failed, and the same statistic has bled its way into the church as well? Therefore, what is my responsibility? Truth in love. Truth with grace. Knowing what, please understand, regardless of any situation that you find yourself in at this very moment. Regardless of the fact that you may sit there and say, well, yeah, I've gone through that. Let, let me remind you that Jesus forgives all sin. That Jesus forgives all sin. There are so many texts throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New. I, I, just, I just, a few of them. There were too many. We see it everywhere. Psalm 103. It is possible for the Lord to look at us without seeing our sins because when he forgave us, he removed our sins. What does the psalmist say? So far as the east is from the west. Isaiah chapter 43. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake and remembers your sin no more. Jeremiah in chapter 15, therefore this is what the Lord says, if you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. What an absolute, necessary, delightful truth is that. Ephesians in chapter 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians chapter 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. What an amazing reminder even today as we pause and celebrate the body that was broken and the blood that was poured out to forgive us of our sins. He promises to cleanse. Now, yes, we have to remember the what? We have to remember the takeaways Divorce is not part of God's plan. It's not the ideal. We know also that divorce has an element of death to it. When two become one and then you try to take that apart, there are scars. There is pain that seems to last forever and ever. But thirdly and finally, remember this and rejoice in this. Divorce, just like any sin, can be forgiven when there is confession and repentance. And we rejoice in that. So, so what, what do we do with this? So, some of you who are in the midst of this pain, the delight, I love the promise of 2 Corinthians in chapter 1 that God comforts us. He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That regardless of whatever you have experienced, whatever you've heard, that, that you know that God as a loving Father wraps His arms around, cares for you and loves you and comforts you, but yet there's also a responsibility that you have. What is that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? It continues, so that you may be able to comfort others. That's the beauty. That's the responsibility, understanding and recognizing the forgiveness that is offered. But now we have a responsibility to show and to share God's comfort and mercy that we've received to others. How do we, how do we in a sense, shoot for the ideal? I stumbled upon this, and I, I, want, I want you to see this in closing. I know our time is short, but uh, Jason, if you have this, uh, just a two, three-minute clip as we'd say, well, let's pause 
lift our eyes to the ideal. I don't count it a burden, whatever, to have to care for her. I, I need to do everything. From the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to bed, I do absolutely everything. Um, I clean her teeth, I shower, dress, everything. And, um, but it's, it's a privilege. I count it a great privilege to, to care for this one that I've loved all of these years and continue to love. This is the year where we'll celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Our stories have been a, a lovely story. I first saw her when she was eight years old and her brother became my best friend. We grew up together and as we grew up, yeah, she was there. And I knew that she used to stare at me when I was playing footy with my, with her brother and uh, another friend and when we used to ride bikes and she kept staring at me, but I wasn't interested. I was 17, she was 16. I saw her dolled up, dressed up, and she had an A-line dress on and boom, it was gone. I was, uh, she was the one for me then, absolutely. <laughs> when we first started uh, dating, I used to ride my bike from where I lived to where she was and that was about five kilometers on a Saturday afternoon because it was the only chance we had to get together. And uh, it was hair wash day for her and she used a special cream in her hair for a shampoo and I can still smell it because that smell was so particular, so nice. It was just absolutely special. We had a bike. I used to ride everywhere on my bike and then Glad had a bike as well and we put a, a baby chair on the front of her bike and so we carried our babies around on the bike with her as well. So, yeah, bike's been part of our lives and I guess that has something to do with us now. Around about 2004, five, I began to notice um, that there were things going wrong. She was finally diagnosed with uh, the horrible disease of Alzheimer's. Having lived overseas, I knew that with a bike you can do lots of things. So I had a bike made, a bike chair made. We take it to the beach and ride along beside the beach. And as we do that, we see lots of people, a lot of people come talk to us because it's a, a unique thing. Nobody else has got a bike chair quite like that. I am determined to care for her every need, every need. You see, God has loved us so unconditionally and I understand that God has put his love in my heart and because I realize how much God has loved me, that's how I too can love my lovely wife. She has done so much for me over all of these years. Now she can't, but I can and I can return her love and it's a love that, uh, well, to me, means I can do everything for her. She's my princess, I'm her William, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Would you have it any other way? No, no. no not at all. We love each other. Just love that story. She's my princess, and I'm her William. Love the little purple helmet and the little tiara on it. You know, that is a picture and, 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 and God uses marriage as an example of the love that he has for us. Think about that. Think about how there have been so many times that, oh, we are so undeserving. I love the way that Billy even said, he goes, that's the way that God has loved us. You know, as we examine this really, really challenging, difficult topic, what, what, what a reminder that we have God's love regardless of where we are at, regardless of anything that has happened in the past until this very moment. He says that God loved us so much that he gave his only, his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh. Um, we have, we, we, we remember through visual, and it's so impactful, and we have, as what clear instruction tells us, we are to regularly remember the love that God has shown for us through what? Through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And Jesus, when he was sitting with the disciples in the upper room, the very night that he was betrayed and arrested, 
He wants to give them an object lesson so that they always remember. It's, it's burned in their minds. And we are instructed to remember until he comes again. And he took some, some bread. It was unleavened bread. And, and he broke it. And as he broke it, he said, this is a, a picture of my body that will be broken for you. I cannot think of any more love than that. It was unleavened bread because leaven throughout scripture is a picture of sin jesus lived his entire life without sin can how far in is that how far is that thinking from us that he was the lamb without blemish the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world not only did he break bread as as a reminder an object lesson but it says that he took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out, and as he poured it, he said, this is a picture of my blood that will be poured out for you. And, and just literally, in hours from that time that he poured that, he was bleeding. He was bleeding out his love for us. Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Think about every one of us who have sinned that we would be still stuck in that with no hope apart from what Jesus does as a gift. And so we are, we are instructed. There's only two ordinances that we remember and observe. Last week, we celebrated the baptism of four people who identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this second ordinance, the ordinance of communion, again, identifies with the death the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be reminded that every single day we are to die to ourself and we're to walk in the newness of life. And so we have this for you. We, we do this um, tradition here at Big Woods is the third Sunday. I've never, ever, ever heard or seen of that in any other church. But for some reason, we take the third Sunday of every month, and we just offer this to you. If you are a believer, this is for you to remember what Jesus Christ has done. If you are not a believer, I would ask, I don't want to be disrespectful or rude, but please don't take this. It would be meaningless. It would be silly for you. But today is the day of salvation. And today if we recognize that we are sinners and that Christ is the only way that we can be forgiven of our sin through his sacrifice on the cross, then we can trust him as our Savior. You could take that. You could, you could celebrate what Christ has done as the first time as a believer. The elders are going to come, and they're going to serve this to you. What we're going to do is we'll serve you the bread first. Um, then we'll ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup. And then we'll serve you the cup as a celebration of what we do in remembrance of Jesus. Amen.
Would you pray with me? Father, as we are reminded, even today in your word, of, of the ideal of unconditional love, regardless of the many challenges and regardless of our own shortcomings, you love us unconditionally. We thank you, Lord, that um, you have also made a way for us to have relationship with you in your holiness through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now as we are bowed in your presence uh, with this bread before us and this cup that we're about to partake of as pictures and symbols of your body and your blood, may, may this remind us afresh and anew the extent of your love. Help us, Lord, to examine our own hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us. Pray that you would search us and know us. We confess our sin and delight in your forgiveness. Bless this now and may it be a reminder of what you've done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It says that I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the night in which he was betrayed took bread and after he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you for you do this in remembrance of me
brothers. It says, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Gospel of Mark is not known for a lot of details, but it's the only Gospel that talks about the fact that after they remembered communion that first time, that they sang a hymn together before they went out to the Mount of Olives. And we're going to do that now, Matt, as you lead us. Just stand with us, please, as we close. <clears throat> 